Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. I have been attempting to approach our investigation of the precepts in a slightly different way than beginning with um, talking about their positive uh, formulation. I've been avoiding diving into the individual precepts uh, by taking a, a, approaching them from um, a different angle. And I've been talking about the, the three poisons, greed, anger, or attachment, aversion, and ignorance, or delusion. And we had been talking about the first two um, and the code of conduct that might arise around those uh, two poisons, two hindrances of um, attachment or greed, uh, aversion or anger or hatred. And today I'd like to talk about ignorance and to um, establish the fact that these precepts that we are eventually going to uh, address, the Buddhist pure mind precepts, um, they are humanly invented. They grow up uh, around human life, human community. They're not, they're not handed down by some transcendent being and they are not some absolute truth that um, somehow is universally accepted. Um, they are reflections of what it might mean to live a fully liberated and realized life. So there are other, uh, there are many other ways to live besides those outlined in the 10 pure precepts. Um, and I'm, I quoted the philosopher Kierkegaard um, in, in his observation that so many of us uh, talk about um, castles in the air and we live in shacks down the street. And some of those shacks are defined by attachment or greed, anger or hatred or ignorance or delusion. And so maybe it is useful to take a look, as I said, take a look around those shacks that uh, we may be living in and not even knowing it and seeing what, what's going on in there. So I'd like to, to begin this investigation of ignorance with a little story that comes from the Hindu tradition of parables. And it's, it's a short story about a, the God, the God of delusion, the God of destruction named Mara. This is a God that has visited Buddha uh, when he was trying to um, 
to reach uh, his own truth. And he was tempted by Mara, uh, much in the way as in the Christian tradition, the devil <laughs> tempts Christ. Um, and the, the um, seduction, the temptation is to, um, to fall into ignorance, to fall into delusion, to fall into believing an illusion, something that isn't real. And so Mara, who is the god of delusion, of ignorance, was walking through the countryside and with his attendants, uh, there's, always, there's always help around uh, uh, the god who tries to seduce us into believing uh, things that are just illusory. And they come across a man doing walking meditation. And suddenly the man's face kind of uh, brightens in, um, in wonder, this man who's walking and meditating. And the, uh, the attendants are, the attendants tomorrow are kind of fascinated by this sense of wonder that appears on this man's face. And they ask Mara, you know, what, uh, what do you think is going on here? And Mara says, well, this man has discovered a piece of the truth. That's why he's all kind of lit up. And uh, the attendants say, well, doesn't this disturb you <laughs> that you know, here you are the god of delusion and this man has discovered a piece of the truth. And Mara says, no, it doesn't bother me at all because very soon this person's going to make this into a belief. I'm not worried because this discovery is right afterwards, after this discovery, this person is going to make this into a belief. So this is an expression of ignorance, that when you have an insight into something that seems true, you grab onto it and make it a belief. The person who has seen a little bit of the truth is kind of a dangerous person. And the person who thinks that they have seen a lot of the pieces of the truth is probably an even more dangerous person because it's precisely that attachment to what you have seen, what you believe to be true, that is delusion that holding on to a belief, to a belief. Now, ignorance, <clears throat> paradoxically, is the belief <laughs> that you're not ignorant, that you somehow know what, what is true and what is real. 
that you know this, you believe it, you attach to it. And this ignorance can actually take the form, can take many forms. And that and it can it it can progress from a mere preference to an opinion, to a belief, and then to dogma. That's how it sometimes goes for, for the process of ignorance. If, say, we took an example, maybe a sort of controversial for a virtual example. Let's say you, um, you have a preference, a personal preference for living in a society where marriage is between a man and a woman. I mean, I prefer to live in a society where there's this established uh, moral code, uh, established practice, where marriage is, is between a man and a woman. That's my preference. And I kind of, you can have your preference. And then we, if we begin to attach to that, we can move from that to an opinion that, you know, um, it's, it's really better. It's, it's, it's really better to live in a society where marriage is between a man and a woman. Yeah, it's, it's better. That's an opinion. It's still pretty personal because someone can say, well, that's your personal opinion. I have a different opinion, but opinion seems to have a stronger energy than preference. But we can get even stronger if we're permitted and if we insist to move from the opinion to the belief. And the belief then expresses itself as marriage between a man and a woman is right and marriage between the same sex to the same sex marriage is wrong. So now we get to a belief that something is right and something is wrong. That's more than just an opinion. That's a belief. And then same-sex marriage is a sin. That's dogma. And see how easily we can slide, <laughs> slide into that. And sometimes we don't even realize it. So what would it look like to have a 
code of conduct, a way of living, a way of living, a way of making decisions that would form around ignorance. Or another way of saying that, what would be some of the guiding principles of a code of conduct forming around beliefs and dogma? What kind of a, what kind of guiding precepts? So I had a little bit of fun with this and maybe you can as well. So here we go. Human beings are the highest beings. The world exists to be exploited for human purposes. You can't afford a negative thought. Always think positively. Your beliefs are right and refuse to change your mind. Ignorance is bliss. Use any intoxicant to escape reality. By the way, the word uh, in the Pali for delusion is moha, M-O-H-A-A, -A, M O H A. And what it what it really means is to become stupid. It's it's sort of being stupefied. <laughs> or maybe in our culture we would say being dumbed down. And we have phrases like this, you know, um, I have, I'm in mind fog <laughs> or um, I'm zoning out or I'm spaced out or I'm out of it. <laughs> this is moha. And this is antithetical to the clarity and the presence that our practice centers around. So this notion of ignorance is bliss, I just wanna zone out. I just, you know, just wanna get sp spacey. <laughs> and I'm gonna use some kind of intoxicant. It could be a substance or it could be an intoxicant like anger or passion, anything that gets you to a place where you're not thinking clearly, you're, you're just in a state of darkness. Don't examine circumstances, just follow your strongest impulses. And don't listen to anyone who disagrees with you. If they persist, insult them. 
find an expert, some recognized or popular authority and attach yourself fiercely to defending them and their positions. Act before you think. Of course, that's the reversal of think before you act. I know my parents would always say that. Think before you act. Yeah. But it, from an ignorant, from an ignorant place, you just act. Don't don't think about it. When faced with difficulty, pain, or confusion, you can always say, leave me alone. It's too hard. I can't be bothered. I don't care. And it doesn't matter. And the more information you have, the wiser you'll be. Never stop surfing. Those are just a few of the precepts that come from someone or a culture of dog, dogmatic tendencies. I want to give you a quote from Dogen. When we become intimate with our own thinking, delusions become the earth upon which the moon of enlightenment shines. When we become intimate with our own thinking, delusions become the earth upon which the moon of enlightenment shines. So now, these poisons can provide a gateway to enlightenment, to health. Just as there are many poisons that are used as medicine. In the one I can think of is um, there's a plant called foxglove, which is a poisonous plant but it's the, the, the drug digitalis, which is a heart medicine. Uh, people who deal with irregular heartbeat or heart, heart failures use digitalis, which comes from a poisonous plant. And there are many plants, uh, you know, venoms, that snake venoms that can be used to cure people, but you have to use them properly. So these um, 
these are delusions can be the, the pathway to enlightenment. Our very attachment to these delusions. Sometimes in, in Zen practice, we say, what's in the way is the way. What's in the way is the way. The difficulty in transforming delusion into wisdom, into enlightenment, is that we are so steeped in our delusions that we don't even know, know it. We just think we're so right that we've just got this piece of the truth or we've got, you know, we've just seen something that is so right that we cannot let anything else in. Everything else has to, you know, we just filter everything else out and we don't even know it. We're just seeing the world out of our delusory um, vision. We're not seeing clearly and we don't know it. So how are we supposed to know when we are not seeing things clearly? When we're not, you know, how do, how do we, how do we self-correct on that? That's extremely difficult. So I'd like to give you an example that happened to me, which is um, it's really very simple. It happens all the time to me, but it happened yesterday. And I was raking leaves, raking and raking and trying to um, make, make Oan beautiful, <laughs> you know, make the place really beautiful. And the woman who lives downstairs was watching me rake and rake and rake and rake. I was raking for a couple of hours. And she came over and she said, Mado, do leaves bother you? <laughs> to this moment, I just, I was, I was suddenly awakened. <laughs> it's, I, I've told the experience when I, when I had the, um, the question for this marathon monk who spent 12 years in practice and circumnavigating Mount Hie. And, and I asked, you know, 12 years of intensive practice. And I asked him, you know, why does practice have to be so hard? And he asked me, what makes you think it's hard? <laughs> um, it was that moment of, do leaves bother you? I, I wasn't expecting that. Sometimes the way we awaken from our delusion is by some external hit on the head. You know, like even something as simple as do leaves bother you? And suddenly I realized, yeah, leaves do bother me. 
<laughs> they bother me. And now I have to investigate you know, why I am averse to leaves. That was just a wonderful teaching. And she was my teacher. That's why in so many dialogues between Zen masters and their students, and students will ask a question or make a comment. And what will the Zen master do? Take take the nose of that person and twist it. <laughs> or just slap him across the face. It's like, wake up. Sometimes, you know, when it's a, it's a form of when David said during a book study, get real. <laughs> so sometimes it has to come from the outside because it's not coming because we're just so steeped in the delusion that we just, I didn't know leaves bothered me. I don't know a lot of things bother me or trouble me or that I see things as Ingmar Bergman said, through a dark glass darkly. So teachers help help us awaken very simple questions. And our Sangha can remind us, we need our Sangha. We need Sangha for this. Wake up. Not in a, in a kind and compassionate way. You know, this, um, this woman didn't say, you know, what are you doing raking leaves for two hours? That's ridiculous. Um, you know, not judging me, but just asking the question, do leaves bother you? That's a kind of compassionate, helpful question. I didn't, I didn't get defensive about it at all. It was, oh, think about that, <laughs> consider that. So what happens when the world um, is teaching us, we're available to that teaching and we get awakened in a moment. Avoid making it a belief, but a pathway to being present to it, to investigating it, to coming back to what in our practice we call beginner's mind. This moment of, do leaves bother me? That's a beginner's, that's beginner's mind. It's beginner's mind is not ignorance. Beginner's mind is a deliberate openness and availability to let go of our dogma, our beliefs, our presuppositions, our expectations, our assumptions, all of that stuff 
that we come to the world with and provide a filter for the status quo, the dogma that we're hanging on to. So the story of the of the scholar who comes to the Zen master and the Zen master pouring tea, pouring tea, pouring tea into the full cup, the cup full of dogma, beliefs, opinions, and assumptions, cannot learn anything because the cup is too full. So let's come to the world. Let's come to one another with an empty cup, with fresh eyes, with wisdom, with compassion. <laughs>